chapter 1. We have, for the last few weeks this Christmas season, uh, been looking at lifting up Christ from the Mass. Why we lift up Christ from the Mass. And, and looking at uh, an, an, an ancient, what many would say, a hymn uh, in the New Testament, bringing out who Christ is and his relationship to God the Father, uh, that he is uh, the visible uh, image of the invisible God. Uh, and that he is our creator. Um, and we looked at Christmas Eve at the work of reconciliation, of how he has reconciled all things to himself. Humans and nature itself is being fixed by Jesus, and how Christmas is a picture of that. And so I uh, want to look at the end of the chapter, certainly beginning with verse 23, but focusing on verses 24 through 29. And how we lift up Christ from the Mass. How does that happen in your life? Looking at Paul's example of how he lifted up Christ from the Mass. And so uh, it has been specifically convicting to me uh, in this passage as we look at it. This is a a sweet time. Uh, Right before New Year's, this is a time of reflection for us to consider and think through, as well as perhaps maybe uh, uh, looking forward to new goals uh, for 2014, Lord willing. And so I, I, this year I'm going to begin a, a new type of reflection I had read where an individual would, uh, at the end of each year, would consider what if he died and looked at 2013 as well as all of his life with the question, what if I die December 31st, how do I feel about this past year? How do I feel about my life? And with that question, looking, Lord willing, into 2014, what should his life be? Knowing, or perhaps if God would give him new life or an extra day come January 1st. And so I challenge you to do that. Think about 2013 and look at December 31st with this question, what if I die on December 31st at the end of that day? How would I feel about my life? How would I feel about this year? And look with Thanksgiving, January 1st, that you wake up, Lord willing, on that day. And so with that, I've been thinking through uh, my life. This year, this church, and looking at 2014, and this text is especially um, powerful, and that it is already speaking to things that God is echoing in my heart, and it just so happens that we are right here at this text at a time of reflection and revisioning uh, for 2014. And so, uh, I pray that the Lord will use this to speak to your own heart, that we would together as God's church here at Green Pines would lift up Christ from the Mass. We know why, but how should we do it? And so let's stand as we read together Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 through 29. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. 
And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You may be seated. As we looked at Christmas Eve, verses 21, 22, 23 is a powerful message of how God is reconciling people to himself. We looked at this and he says in verse 21, you need to understand that all of you were alienated. You were all hostile in mind. You were doing evil deeds because you were not God-centered, but self-centered. You were broken. And to be reconciled is to make you in right relationship with God, which consequently means that you must be God-centered and no longer self-centered, Christ is doing that through his work on the cross. And so we see verse 22, it's been done. We've been reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Why? So that we may be presented as holy and blameless before him. That's the picture. All right. Christ is to be permanent. His holiness is to be a part of our life. And so we are to continue in that. We make salvation known by continuing in that way now verse 24 he says some interesting passages uh, and we ask what does this mean when he says i rejoice my sufferings for your sake in my flesh i'm filling up what is lacking in christ's afflictions for the sake of his body so let me ask you this question when jesus died on the cross god perfect uh, in human form was whipped, battered, put upon the cross. And when Jesus said, it is finished, what on earth is lacking from that? When, when, first, when first Peter 3.18 says that, that Christ once suffered for our sins, the just for the unjust, that we might be brought to God, what is lacking from that? How dare anyone would say that The cross of Christ is insufficient, is lacking. That's what Paul says. How do we make sense of this? All right, first you need to understand that the work of Christ on the cross is not lacking in its atoning effect. It is perfect and sufficient to reconcile you to God. That's what we just read in verse 21 and 22. The the body of of Jesus was sufficient for that. So what exactly is lacking? You need to understand that when Jesus died on the cross and he made a way of salvation, it was not the fulfillment of God's plan. Jesus dying on the cross and his resurrection was not the fulfillment of God's plan. Jesus' death on the cross and the resurrection and 
the Holy Spirit coming down to us is not the fulfillment of God's plan. All right. Study with me. Study with me. I know it's raining. I know it's warm in here. And you're comfortable. Engage your mind just for a little while, please. All right. Let's just do a little quick review of what Scripture has to say. When God created the world, in Genesis 1 through 3, one of the things he told mankind to do is be fruitful and multiply because they were filled with the image of God. And so they were to put the image of God everywhere throughout the earth. That was God's plan. Sin came in, messed that up. God's uh, image was corrupted in us. And so we have God's salvation work from that point on. Genesis 12, God works with the unique family. You remember the Abrahamic covenant where God says to Abraham, in you will be a seed and this will be a, a one who will be a blessing to what? The whole world. All right. So in Abraham, there's going to be this one who comes will be a blessing uh, to the whole world. Well, we keep on reading and in Genesis uh, we'll find that this, the same thing is being narrowed down from Abraham, Isaac to Jacob. In Exodus chapter 9, we have God's working through Moses. Remember the whole Charlton Heston thing, let my people go, all right? Well, it wasn't just let my people go. Let my people go and worship me. And he says, I'm going to give powers, going to wrought uh, powers and miracles in Egypt that my name will be great in Egypt. And that all will hear about God's great name. Well, in Numbers chapter 6, we find that God gives a, a priestly blessing. Uh, and through this priest, that there's something that was always repeated. Uh, and we find this, re, this, this idea of, well, let God's grace be upon you. Uh, and let his face shine upon you. And this is kind of the, the phrasing that priests were to give over God's people. And then in Psalm 67, it tells us why. Why do we want God's grace? Why do we want God's face to shine upon us? Simply that his way, God's way, may be known on earth. And that his saving power will be known among all nations. Alright? Genesis, all the world, know the image of God. Through one of Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob... And that God's power in Egypt would be known for all the world. In numbers, the priests are to come together and, and to pray for God's blessing, His grace, His face, so that all the world may know His name. Well, we go on and we find that God does a tabernacle, builds a temple. Interesting prayer in Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 33. He's, Solomon prayers, prays this. He says, God, hear from heaven. Hear from your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you. In order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel. Why does the temple exist? So that all the nations will hear and know the great name of God. You remember when Jesus comes into the court of, of the Gentiles in the temple and he lets it loose? Why? Because that was the place the nations were to come and to know the great name of God. And so we see this uh, in, in the uh, tabernacle system. We see this in the prophets. that It's repeated over and over again. Messages, not just to Israel, not just to Judah, but to other nations so that they will know the great name of God. You remember Jonah? The whole point of Jonah, one of the points of Jonah was that Jonah 
would understand, and that consequently all of us would understand, that God loves the Ninevites. He wants them to know the great name of God. Even people that we don't like. God loves them. And Malachi, as we get to the end of the Old Testament, it tells us uh, that from the rising of the sun to the setting of the, of, the, of the sun, that his name will be great among the nations. And I'm just skipping through. But you see that when Jesus comes on the scene, he has the same goal, the same idea. Even in the Christmas story. We see as the outcast of the shepherds, we see as the wise men from the east who come and know and praise the name of God. It's all throughout and in, in, through scripture uh, that this is the idea is that God's plan from the very beginning was that all peoples, all nations would know the great name of God. Well, we keep on reading, we'll, we'll see in in Matthew 8, we find this phrase that's repeated in the Gospels. The last will be first and the first will be last. Do you understand that what he's talking about is he's saying to Israel, those who think they're part of God's kingdom by birth, he says, you know, you think you're first, but you'll be last. It's really the last of people who do not know, who have not yet heard. They will also be in God's kingdom. And that's a phrase repeated throughout in the Gospels, that they will come from all other. When he talks about the Good Samaritan, it's the story of someone who is outside of Israel that will hear and be part of God's kingdom. We find it all throughout. In fact, in Matthew 24, verse 14, he says the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And Revelation what is it a revelation of? It's not a revelation of the end times. It is a revelation of Jesus, of which the book is talking about. And in this revelation of Jesus, you have all nations, all peoples, bowing down and worshiping God. You need to understand that when we talk about missions, we're not talking about just in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. We're talking about the entirety of the Bible is presenting that all peoples will worship God and will know the great name of God. So when Jesus comes and dies on the cross and says it is finished, he is finished the pathway, the provision of salvation. But God's plan is not yet completed. How do I know that? Because as best what we can understand, there are still 3,500 people groups that have no exposure to the name of Jesus Christ, nor is anyone addressing them. Nor is anyone praying for them. We call them unengaged, unreached. 3,500 people groups. So I can tell you that God's plan has not yet completed, but I can also tell you that God's word says it will be. It will be. Paul knows this. Paul understands this. Paul uh, was once one of those who wanted to wipe out the name of Christ, but meets Jesus and a powerful revelation and calls Paul to the task of letting God's name be known, especially among the nations. The word Gentiles can refer to nations. And so that's his task. So, Paul says... I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions 
for the sake of his body that is the church. Now, it helps you understand this. That verses 24 through 29 in the Greek is one sentence. <laughs> that's, now, that's why we're talking about a run-on sentence, all right? Verses 24 through 29 is one complete idea. What is it that he is doing? That Well, as we read, notice verse 27. What is, he says, God's called me to be a servant of the church, the body. To them, the church... God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory. God has chosen to make known among the church to to give them this task, this stewardship entrusted with them to do this task to make the word of God fully known among the nations. And for this he toils. So, let me just kind of give it to you in language you might understand. We had uh, every day my wife cooks a meal. At least one, sometimes three, including the multiple snacks throughout. All right, family meal is a pretty big deal uh, in my house. I, I want to be there if at all possible to have at least one family meal. Sometimes it's breakfast, and, uh, but somewhere along the way, and I want it to be where we're not just sitting around watching TV, but that we're old-fashioned sitting at a table, and we're all looking at one another, and we have the prayer before we eat, and we eat together, and we teach. Well, mommy and I teach the rest how to uh, act at the table. We're still working on some, all right? They're not allowed to go out in public, and <laughs> sometimes you guys witness that on our church, uh, uh, church meals, all right? Uh, so it's not just eating food. It is a, a family event. So here's how it often goes about. My wife will be working in the kitchen, and she'll, she'll finish, to say it's it's time it's time to eat which usually means this okay jared heard everyone else might have heard but they're not really coming to the table yet so in every announcement there's usually if i'm there me going around to all the various rooms do you hear mommy it's time to eat it's time to eat now Julie's goal is not just to make a meal. It's not just to cook. That's not the end goal. The end goal is to get the food in the mouths of those in our house. And that they will keep it down. The, the, the end goal is nourishing them. Alright? So, so Julie has provided the meal. But then it's my job to say, get to the table. Get to the table. Come on. And sometimes there's some suffering that involves that is involved in that process, all right? Uh, when we're all sitting at the table, then the goal is being accomplished. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again and, and sent the Holy Spirit, he cooked the meal. He provided the dinner for us. And then he says to you, dinner is served. Let us go and make sure that all will come to the table to eat. And we ask, well, well, Jesus, who is to come to the table? And he says, all peoples of all nations are to come to the table. Your job, son, your job, daughter, is to go out and make sure they get to the table. Make sure they know that dinner is served. 
And so missions is going around and providing, letting people know dinner is served. God has reconciled. He has made a way for us to be right with him. He's done it. It's complete. This is good news. That's our job. But notice what Paul says. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister. To make the word of God fully known. Verse 25. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Of which I became a minister. To make the word of God fully known. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake to make the word of God fully known. You see what I'm doing? Paul is making a statement here. That God will be fully known through my sufferings. Let that sink in for a second. God will be fully known through suffering. So let me give you the very first method of how we lift up Christ. We lift up Christ from the mass by suffering to make known Christ. We lift up Christ from the mass by suffering to make known Christ. That's Paul. He said, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing this. To finish up so that God's plan will be revealed. And by suffering, I will make known God, who he is. Where these unengaged, unreached people groups are, if they will know about Christ, it will happen because God's children will suffer. No question promised by God let me take it maybe in a little bit more thanksgiving way is God's way known here is God's name known right here it didn't happen unless someone suffered it didn't happen unless God's people suffered in some way how many of you have a bible in your hands you don't i know every one of you have access to the gospel because there's one in the pew right in front of you people suffered for you to have what's in your hand in your language every time you read the bible it is the fruit of blood of sleepless nights anxieties hardships every time it is a fruit. The fact that you're here in public worshiping Jesus Christ is happening because someone suffered. And I'm not just talking about Jesus Christ. Someone suffered for you to be here. When we celebrated communion like we did Christmas Eve in a very public way, we, we announced it, we, had, we didn't hide it, that happened because someone suffered. When we have public baptism, that happens because someone is suffering. The fact that I'm publicly proclaiming to you God's word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, happened because someone suffered. Now listen, 
Who do you want to make known Jesus to? Are you willing to suffer? We lift up Christ from the mass by suffering to make known Christ. One, we're letting the whole world and God know that Christ is more important than the mass. To say, let the mass be dead to us and us dead to the mass, but let Christ be praised. There's a very clear message declaring that. Andrew, Peter, James, Jude, Thomas, Paul. You read the Bible, you read what tradition has to say, and you find record after record of suffering. Andrew, according to tradition, was crucified in the shape of a cross. James, the Bible tells, was his head was cut off by Nero. Peter, tradition tells us he was crucified upside down because he did not want to die the exact same way of Jesus. Thomas was killed with the sword, according to tradition. James, the brother of Jesus, was pushed off the top of the temple, stone, beaten with a club. Paul, beheaded by Nero. Bartholomew, his skin was cut off his body while alive. Jude, killed with arrows. Philip was hanged. Stephen, stoned. That's how it started. If we could give record of the last 50 years, it would be more. As we are escalating God's plan for nations to hear, there will be more and more people that will suffer to make God's name great. But notice what Paul says, I rejoice. I rejoice in my sufferings. This is not something of which we are to be bemoaning. It is evidence of joining in with Christ. You remember how Paul and Silas, when, when they were uh, getting beat in Philippi, and they were placed in prison, and being placed in prison after being beat in dark, depressing, stinky places, they sing, and they rejoice that we were counted worthy in suffering with Christ. Let me just bring up a little revelation to you. You do not get out of here alive. And you do not get out of here alive without suffering. There's a part of me that says, okay, let me bypass suffering at all possible. That's very popular for us to do, isn't it? Comfort, all right? And that's why we don't like old age. Because old age is a great big declaration saying it's going to hurt. <laughs> it's going to get tough. You're going to lose abilities. You're not getting out of here alive. And so what's the number one request for how to die? Let me die in my sleep. Right? Because that seems less painful. I don't know. No one's ever told us how bad it was. All right? We're not getting out of here alive. We're all going to suffer. So, is it really going to be just because of old age that we're suffering? Or is it because we spend our life even into our old age and we're wanting the name of Christ known? 
let it be known. And so I may go old and have all the frailties that come with it as I'm living for Christ. But if I'm living it for Christ and making his name great, then I take the frailties and the pains of it and say, God, thank you. It's just one more reminder that I'm not depending on my life. I'm depending on Christ. And let your name be known greater. Not because I'm fully abled, but because I'm fully dependent on Christ. And the less abled I get, the more dependent we can get. I was talking or hearing one of the family members say this past week, referring to some of their in-laws. And just, he's at the age and he's had strokes. He's not able to do a thing. He just... Gets up, walks to a chair, eats TV, and flips the channels because there's nothing satisfying anymore. Just flipping through. And just shared with his family member, what's the point? What's the purpose of living? And he had, his family member had nothing to tell him. And I thought, how how utterly depressing. And it kind of weighed on my mind as I went to scriptures. And I thought, you know, for the believer, for someone whose heart is caught up in the plan of God, who's caught up in Jesus, there is always something that can be done to let the name of God be known. The Bible, or what folks tell us, there's three things that we can do. To let the name of God be known, we can go, we can sin, which involves giving, and we can pray. Praying, giving, going, that the name of God will be known. So some of us are sitting and we're thinking we're in the comforts of America. No one gets on us because we're here at church. No one uh, really is threatening our life because we na- bear the name of Christ. We, we don't really have that much sometimes job loss. But, you know, we'll find another job. We don't have to sacrifice. And that's true. We don't have to sacrifice living in America. But it just hit me. But why are we not? Suffering. Praying. Giving. Going. Some of us can outright rule out going for various numbers of reasons. Some of you can't. Alright, let's just look at praying and giving. Have you prayed to the point where it hurt? Has there been suffering? Have we given to the point where there's suffering? Here's my mindset, and I think that if I expose it, I probably expose your own. All right, it's time to give. Light of moon, Christmas offering, church, whatever. What can we give and still be able to do all we want to do? What can I give and still not have to change my lifestyle? That's an honest transparent question of i've asked in times past but as i read this passage the question is rather what can i give up in order that god's name will be made known 
If I'm not going, can I at least suffer in the praying? Can I at least suffer in the giving? You know, one of the most humbling things to do is go in these other places where they don't have a lot of money and sit in on their worship and get to the offering time. And they're passing the offering plate and you're seeing people giving, you know, good and well. They can't really afford to give anything and still be able to feed their family. But they do. And then the plate comes to me. What do I do in the midst of such examples? Do we give till it hurts? Do we pray till it hurts? We've been challenged by one of our own members and Jeremy Randolph about adopting Puga. A people, a place there that as of yet there is no church here in america that says we want that area we want that people to know the name of christ we want them to have a church that is growing and and living on the name of jesus because we appreciate it so much here we want there to be churches like that there and that's challenges come to us and so let me ask are we willing to to pray till it hurts to give till it hurts to go till it hurts Are we able to do in, as Paul says, in my flesh, that we are filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction? We can be a part of Christ's affliction, of God's plan that he announced from the beginning, from Genesis to Revelation. We shouldn't be surprised that God's plan involves reaching to all nations. It's all throughout the Bible. Not just in one or two passages. It's the entirety of the Bible. We shouldn't be surprised. And when God asks us, okay... You heard my plan. You know my plan. Were you about the plan of the nations? Your school. Your neighborhood. Your family. Are you praying? Are you going out till it hurts? Mark 8, 35. Whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels shall save it. This is our job. A Romanian pastor said that Christ's cross was for propitiation. Our cross is for propagation. Where is the cross in our life? Christ suffered to accomplish salvation. We suffer to spread salvation. Our willingness to endure hardship for the good of others is filling up Christ's afflictions because it extends to them, to others, and to make it visible. The people who have not yet heard Christ can see the cross of Christ when they see the cross in your life. Can they see the afflictions of Jesus by seeing the afflictions in your life? Or do they see a comfortable Christ when they see you? Verse 27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What he's talking about, the fact that Christ is in this group of nations, that's in these Gentiles, that, that Jesus wants to indwell us. That is the hope of glory. Now let me just bring out this thought. If we are suffering for other people to to hear Christ, but then we ourselves don't let Christ reign in our life, we're being counter 
to the work. We, we no longer have joy in our life, peace in our life, the strength of the Lord in our life. We're being counter to the task. So, verse 28. Let me get on to how we lift up Christ from the Mass. We lift up Christ from the Masses by suffering to make known Christ. But then we lift up Christ from the Mass by discipling others in Christ. Verse 28. Him we proclaim. Who? Christ. The fact that Christ is in and wants to be in nations and people. Him we proclaim. Warning everyone. Teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? That we might present everyone mature in Christ. What should be the point of our church? Well, to make known the name of Christ. To make him great. Why? Or how? By making sure that everyone is mature in Christ. This is discipling. As we look at 2014, as I look at my life, if I want to say, okay, am I being about God's business... If I was to die, the one of the questions that seems to be coming to me is, who have I influenced to be mature in Christ? Who have you influenced to be mature in Christ? If you were to die today, would anyone miss the voice of God speaking to them through you? Is there a, an absence in their life? And this is the question that comes when it comes down to it. When I look at 2014 and I look at this past, who did I talk to? Who did I make time to be with to influence them for Christ? And you say, well, Jerry, that's a great question for you. You're the pastor. Paul's saying this is a great question for anyone who knows Christ. All that is required for you to disciple someone is to know one, one, one thing more than them. You do not have to know all that is to be known. But you know one thing more than someone else. And you say, I want them to know this one thing more. And you go back to the word of God till you learn something else. And do it. And share it with someone else. So we keep on reading. We lift up Christ from the mass by... Not only discipling others in Christ, we lift up Christ from the mass by depending on the power of Christ. Verse 29. For this I toil. What? For discipling others. He is toying. This is a hard word. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Now whose energy did he work with? His or Christ? Yes. His energy is Christ's energy that is given to him. And then he is depending not on his reserves, but depending on Christ for the task. I've been reading this past week about uh, uh, a book from, called Lone Survivor. About a, uh, one of the SEAL uh, soldiers working in Afghanistan. And he spent a good chapter or two talking about his training. What it took to be a SEAL talk about the phase one which is this pre uh qualifying to see if you're even fit to do the training started with push-ups push-ups throughout and all through through the end just as the beginning but they would take him and and they would keep him in cold water to the very limit of what they found as scientific when hypothermia sets in and they'd do it over and over and over 
paddling, exhausting, carrying eight-foot logs back and forth, taking them to the brink of what they could take. And then this special week called what they called Hell Week, which would tell you right then and there. You don't want any part of that. Which essentially involved them being for almost a week totally without sleep, training, exhausting themselves with maybe just an hour or two shut-eye in that time period. And you read that and think, man, I don't want that. Why do they do that? One, because they can. Two, because they think it's worth it. That our country would need soldiers such as these. Tolling. Exhausting themselves. Struggling with all their energy. And I read Paul. And Paul is saying, why don't we do the same? Paul is doing the same. He is toiling. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within. To know that what God calls on you to do. He calls on Christ in you to do. Let me say that again. Whatever God calls on you to do, He calls on Christ in you to do. Some of you are at the brink and thinking, you know, the Bible talks about God not giving more than I can handle. First of all, that's not true. The Bible says God did not give you more sin, more temptation to sin than what you can bear. But I don't see in your scripture where he says that God will not bring upon you more than you can bear. In fact, I see the exact opposite. God will purposely put on you more than you can bear so that you will depend on Christ in you. Do you get that? And so it's going to happen. But understand, whatever comes on you will not happen apart from Christ working it in you. And so whatever demands requirements placed upon you first ask yourself is this god doing it or is it me doing it but whatever god is placing upon you is also placing on christ in you i find lots of strength and comfort with that knowledge except for the fact that god says if you desire to live godly in christ jesus you will endure suffering second timothy three twelve. And let me just say from what I read in scripture that God has called us to suffer. But it's okay. We can rejoice in it. He will give you the strength to endure it. To have a hope. To not only endure it, but to do so with joy. A story was told by Michael Card. Concerning the people in Kenya, Tanzania. Maasai people. Which I've come to meet some of them story about a man named Joseph who was walking along a hot, dirty African road. And he met someone who shared the gospel of Jesus with him. Then and there he accepted Jesus as his Savior, as his Lord. And the power of the Holy Spirit began transforming his life right from the beginning. He was filled with such excitement and joy. The first thing he wanted to do was to return to his own village and share the good news with the members of his own local tribe. Now, the, the Maasai people are known to be warriors, to be fearsome warriors. In fact, the, the Kenyan flag is that of the Maasai shield. Joseph began going from house to house, telling everyone he met about the cross, the suffering of Jesus, and the salvation it offered them. 
He expected to see their faces light up with joy at receiving this, just like his did. To his amazement, the villagers did not really care. Instead, they became violent. The men of the village seized him and held him to the ground while the women beat them with strands of barbed wire. He was dragged from the village and left to die alone in the bush. Joseph somehow managed to crawl to Waterhole. And days after passing out, pinning in and out of consciousness, he, he regained strength to get up. He wondered about the hostile reception he received. These are people he'd known his whole life. He decided he must have done something wrong. He must have left something out for them to respond this way. So he rehearsed the message he first heard. And he decided to go back and share his faith once more. He limped into the circle of huts and began to proclaim Jesus. He died for you so that you might find forgiveness and come to know the living God. Again, he was grabbed by the men of the village and held while the women beat him, reopening the wounds. Once more, they dragged him unconscious, left him out to the bush to die. He survived the first beating and thought that was remarkable. He thought this time it must be a miracle, which only just strengthened his resolve to go back. So bruised and scared and scarred, he went to go back. Again, they attacked him before he had a chance to open his mouth this time. They flogged him for the third and what they thought would be the last time. And again, spoke to them of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Before he passed out, the last thing he saw was the women who were beating him started to cry. This time, he woke in his own bed. The ones who had so severely beaten him were now trying to save his life and nurse him back to health. The entire village came to Christ. It's just one example of thousands that are occurring in the last 50 years to complete what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. And here we are in American prosperity, thankful for it. But why has God turned his face toward us? Why has there been grace to us? Psalm 67 tells us to make known his great name. And here's just one thought. What this scripture presents to you is not extra credit. There's something comforting in us sitting here and saying, well, that's great for so-and-so. A little uncomfortable with Matt and Jerrica, Chad, Amanda, Wayne, Jennifer, Jeremy, Trisha. I, I don't want that happening to them. But I'll pray for them. I thank God for them. I'm glad they're doing it. thing is scripture says that this is for every disciple of jesus and the question that remains is are you a disciple of jesus when jesus says come and follow me he says to everyone come and die have we died 